Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the executive pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySelfland.com. Back to our series now, and we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're just about at the end. Uh, we're only going to do one verse today. Don't groan, okay? I'm not going to do this the rest of the way. The rest of it kind of all works together in one big chunk. So we will cover more verses the next time I'm up here than I ever have before. But today is just one verse. And so we come to, we've worked through all of chapter 5, we've worked through all of chapter 6, and we're most of the way through chapter 7. And so we come to verse 12, which is the golden rule, and it, and it uh, kind of stands on its own. And uh, there's some stuff in this. Actually, we, if, if you remember back to the beginning of the, uh, of the series, we actually touched on the golden rule a whole bunch of times there at the beginning when Jesus was, was, was talking about the Old Testament commands in chapter 5. Um, but so today we're actually going to look at it from a little bit of a different angle. We're going to go a little bit deeper because the implications of the golden rule, it's so much more than just the practical of how do we treat each other. The implications for theology, how we understand Scripture, how our heart is when we read Scripture, and how we understand the difference between legalism and what, what true faith looks like and love and all this sort of stuff really comes down to, in large part, the golden rule. Because in the golden rule, Jesus sums up the heart and purpose of the law. And so he says in verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, just, just absolutely beautiful. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And like I just said, if, if, you, if you go back, you have to remember what Jesus is doing here. If you go back to chapter 5, which is the biggest chunk of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, you, you'll remember, we, we went a few months there probably, um, but it was just week after week, each section, Jesus is taking Old Testament commands. He's taking, them, he's taking laws out of the Old Testament, and he's explaining the heart behind them. He's not canceling them. He's explaining the heart behind them. So he says, do not murder. He says, it's not just about murder, it's about anger and how you treat people. And he says, uh, do not commit adultery. He pulls that law out of the Old Testament. He says, it's not just about not committing adultery, it's about not lusting. And so he goes through all these Old Testament commands, but then this is where Jesus is so amazing, because the thing is, you have to remember, and I can hardly wait till he comes back, because just to sit with him and let him teach and teach and teach and teach, and you know, maybe we take a break every four or five hours, and then we just go back, it'll be just awesome. Um, because he's a master teacher. I mean, I cheat. Okay, we, I got PowerPoint. We'll put, this on, we'll put this online after. You can go back and, and listen to all the stuff I wasn't good enough to make you remember while you were here. And, you, you know, you take notes, and, and some of you put notes on your phones. And so now, nowadays, we, we teachers, we, we cheat. And, uh, but Jesus was a master teacher. He didn't have that. He didn't have a mic. He didn't have a sound system. He didn't have PowerPoint. People didn't have pens and paper to take notes. So he preached a message. He had to make it memorable, okay? And he was, he was brilliant at it, okay? So here he is without a mic talking to tons and tons of people, okay? And, and he's got to say things in such a way that they never forget. And, so, and, so, and he does that. He says things in unforgettable ways. Like in the part about lust, he says it'd be better to gouge out your eyes and cut off your hand than, 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 than uh, go to hell with your whole body, okay? And everybody goes, well, that's there for life, right? And, and he does that a whole bunch of times, well, I'm not going to forget that one, right? But now here, what he's doing at the end, so now we're getting to the end of this message now. He's going to close it up. The next big section, bunch of verses, is really all just closing it up. And so here with the golden rule, he's the master teacher again. He's been teaching. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount would have taken him hours to get through. And, uh, and so he takes, and he, and he wants to leave them with something, because again, they're not writing notes. 
And so he's given them all these, he's taken all these Old Testament commands out and he's shown them the heart and he's shown them the purpose and he's shown them what discipleship looks like and what following the Father really looks like. And now he wants to send them home with a line. And he, so he says, he sums it all up. He sums up all those many points he preached on and he says, and he sums them up this way. He says, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. And in one sentence, I mean, just the master teacher in one sentence, I mean, this is, is still, I mean, the golden rule you know, is, is probably one of the more famous quotes or, or sayings in Western civilization. It's been around, uh, obviously, hundreds of years as a basis in our society. But do unto others what you would have them do to you. And he, and he says, for this is the law and the prophets. And in one sentence, he, he gives them the summation of all these points he's been preaching about. And it's, and it's incredible. I mean, there's something you can take home with you. I mean, there's something, it's not like every day you got, you know, every decision you got to make and every, you know, when you're at work and when you're dealing with your kids, it's not like you have time to go through all the commands of Scripture and figure, oh, okay. But, and so he gives you something, take this with you. This is something you can go back and put into practice, all those points, sum it up, go home, do unto others what you would have others do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. It's just all summed up in that one thing. Step into someone else's shoes how would you feel if you were them? Treat them how you would want to be treated. Feel it from their point of view. See it from their point of view and treat them the way you would like to be treated. Now, you want to know what true spirituality looks like? That's it right there. That's it right there. And we often look at all the wrong things. We're looking at, you know, uh, how, how many hours a week do you read the Bible? Well, uh, hopefully, reading the Bible is changing your life. But reading the Bible in and of itself isn't how you measure spirituality, okay? Or how much TV do you watch? Well, I only watch this much, they watch that much. And we, we just subconsciously do all these measurements to other people, how spiritual am I? And we measure ourselves and we feel guilty and we're trying to always figure out how good am I doing? And, and often we miss what actually really matters. For this is the law and the prophets. What actually matters to God is how do you treat people? You want to know how mature you are in Christ? It's not how long you've been a Christian, it's not how much theology you know. The only purpose of knowing theology is so you can actually have a relationship with God. If you just know it, knowing it does nothing for you. It's knowing God and walking with Him. That's what does something for you. So you want to know what actually matters to God, what makes you spiritually mature is how do you treat people at work? How do you treat your kids? How do you treat your spouse? How do you treat people who rip you off? How do you treat your customers? How do you, how do you, how do you? It's how do you treat people? For this is the law and the prophets. Just summed it up. There's the whole Old Testament. It's like uh, almost a thousand pages in my uh, translation here of Old Testament, and Jesus puts it down uh, to one sentence. Okay? Now, and like I said, and we've talked about some of this stuff before here at Self and Messages and, and whatnot. We actually touched on, earlier in the series, we actually touched on some of the implications. We got very practical with some of the implications of the golden rule. What does that mean to, to treat someone else the way you want to be treated? Um, so I want to look, again, I want to look a little more big picture because, again, the implications of this, summing up the, the Old Testament this way, the implications of this for theology, the implications of this for your own personal Bible reading. As you're reading the scriptures, sometimes we just read, we have our devotions, and we just have this, this, subconscious, nebulous sort of feeling of guilt, and we don't even know what it's about, but we just feel like we don't measure up to Jesus. And, and this, this one sentence here has huge implications for how you feel as you read this, for what you apply from here, for theology. How do we discern the difference between legalism, 
Legalism, which brings condemnation and makes me feel guilty for things I shouldn't feel guilty for, and true holiness, which is there are things I need to confess and repent of. And all of that is tied up in this one verse. And so I want to look at the, the implications of this, this verse on a bigger, more theological level today, and, but the implications for your heart and practically after, I think, are, are profound. And so let's pray, and then, and then we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your message, the Sermon on the Mount. It is, it is life to hear your words and to do them and to get into relationship with you. And it's just amazing. And we look forward. We genuinely look forward to the day when we're going to get to hear you teach in person. And so I thank you for this message. I thank you for the golden rule. Incredible, amazing uh, how you put that whole thing together. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just open up our hearts today. We want to study your word. We want to have a deeper understanding when we read the Bible to actually be able to make sense of what we're reading and not feel guilty about the wrong things. And, Lord, to be able to discern the difference when we encounter it between legalism and holiness, Jesus, these are the things we desire. And so I pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to come to that place. In your name we pray, amen. So, do unto others as you would have others do to you. That's the King James Version of it. And uh, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, the whole Old Testament has to do with how you treat people. Now, just to confirm this for you, that I'm not just taking one sentence and that this isn't a big deal. I just want to show you quickly two other passages where this same idea is, is affirmed. Matthew 22, Jesus said elsewhere, he said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these Two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So there, Jesus said it again. I just wanted to make sure that you saw, I'm not just pulling one sentence. Sometimes preachers do that. You pull a, an obscure sentence out of the Bible. It's really not repeated anywhere else. It's really an obscure thing, and, and, and they just make this huge theology off it. I, I want you to see this is, this is a, a, a big theme in Scripture, that the Old Testament laws can be summed up by love. How do you treat people? Okay. Paul himself repeats it as well in Romans chapter 13. He says this, and, we, and I could find you other passages as well. I'm just showing you a couple, uh, just these two. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Why? Because that's what the law is about. So the, one, the moment you're loving people, the moment you're treating people and you're just seeing them through God's eyes and you're, you're treating them with respect and you're responding with love and caring and putting them before yourself, that is obeying the law. You're doing it right there. Has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and now he names a bunch from the, from the, from the, uh, uh, the Ten Commandments. He says, uh, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. He just takes a bunch of those uh, Ten Commandments and he says, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Okay, so now we've talked about that before here at Selfman, and, and many of you get that point, that the Old Testament commands are all about, you know, do not murder, you know, commit adultery, all that sort of stuff. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not that you check this one, did you check this one, did you check this one. People always talk about do's and don'ts. The Old Testament is do's and don'ts. It's not do's and don'ts. It's about loving people, okay? And so we've read these passages, and you go, okay, I get it. The whole Old Testament, all the laws, and all the commandments are about loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God, okay? And so we have these passages, we look at them, okay, that makes sense to me, I get that, all right? Except for one problem. If you actually read the Old Testament, you find a bunch of laws that don't have anything to do with loving people or loving God. Do you notice that? So on the one hand, it's true, and we've talked about it before, and you look in the New Testament, and you get these statements, the whole thing, 
The whole entire thing is about loving your neighbor and loving God. And Jesus says it repeatedly and Paul says it. Except if you actually, and so we go, that, that, that feels great. But then you actually read the Old Testament and you find that there's laws that actually really don't have anything to do with how you treat people. Okay? You're saying, oh, whoa, whoa. Are you disagreeing with the New Testament? Well, let me just show you. I'm going to show you something, okay? Let's, for example, let's look at Exodus 29, all right? Exodus 29, verses 38 to 41. So remember, Paul and, and Paul and Jesus said the entire law and prophets are about loving people and loving God. Well, let's look at this law. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour, mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer it with a grain offering, and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And I could show you a whole bunch of other laws just like this in the Old Testament. Okay? And you go, well, what on earth? I mean, I could show you stuff like, uh, don't mix two kinds of cloth when you make a garment, right? And different laws like that. And this one about, you know, sacrificing. This is, a la- this is a law, this is a command in the Old Testament. And now, okay, we were just in the New Testament, and Jesus said all of the laws, all of the laws and the prophets are about loving your neighbor and loving God. And then we get to actually get to the Old Testament. We get, on one hand, we get that, and it seems so good. And then we actually read the Old Testament, and we find these laws like, well, what does this have to do with loving my neighbor as myself, right? What does sacrificing a lamb or not mixing two kinds of cloth have to do with loving my neighbor as myself or treating others as I would want to be treated or loving God? And the answer is, this doesn't have anything to do with loving your neighbor as yourself or loving God. And so you say, well, then is Jesus wrong? Are you saying that Jesus was wrong? No. And there's a, there's a very important point to this, and it's going to impact how we read Scripture and also how we deal with, with legalism. See, the thing you have to understand is, in the New Testament, this is really, this is so important. See, we read in the New Testament, anytime Paul or Jesus or any of the other New Testament authors, when they say the word, the law, we just automatically assume every single thing in the Old Testament, okay? So we read the law. If Paul says something about the law being canceled, or the law this, or the law that, we automatically assume Everything in the Old Testament is canceled, or everything in the Old Testament is this. Or Jesus says the law has to do with how you treat people and how you love God. We assume every single word and sentence in the Old Testament has to do with that. And the fact of the matter is, that is not how the Jews use the word law, okay? And again, you're going to say, this, is, this sounds a little bit obscure. It's a little bit obscure now. I'm going to show you why it matters in a little bit, okay? But we read this thing all or nothing, And many preachers today have oversimplified things and have contributed to this problem. And they talk about the law being this indivisible whole. It's all or nothing. You either keep all the, every single one of the 613 commands in the Old Testament, you keep all of it or you keep none of it because you can't divide it up into different groups. And the fact of the matter is that that is not true. And the Jews themselves, certainly in Paul's day and all the writers of the New Testament were Jews, But the Jewish mindset is particularly in the New Testament for sure. They had a very clear concept that there were different kinds of laws in the Old Testament. And because of that, when they used the word law, they sometimes used it to mean, and you have to tell by context, they sometimes used the word law to just refer to every single thing in the Old Testament. Other times they used the word law to refer to this big group of laws over here or to refer to this big group of laws over here. Okay, and this is really important. It, I mean, the whole New Testament, making sense 
of the book of Ephesians and the book of Galatians. I'm actually giving you a key this morning to help you understand because a lot of things that are said in Ephesians and Galatians, you can't even understand without knowing that. Because they use the word in Romans, they, Paul used the word la, la, la all the time. You don't know what, what is going on. Okay? And so the Jews had a very clear concept, uh, uh, and, I, and I'm going to show you some quotes. I could show you quotes from outside the scripture, but I'll show you a bunch of quotes from the Old Testament. Um, but for sure they divided up the, the law, the word law and all the commands in the Old Testament, they divided it up into at least two groups. Okay? And one group of laws was the laws that defined what sin is. Okay? And another group of laws was the laws that defined what you do after you sin, okay? And so they, they very clearly in their mind had two groups of laws. When they talked about the law, they didn't think of it as, hey, every single law is equal in God's eyes. They talked about this. They understood this. They, they, they taught this. There are laws that define what is sin, what God doesn't want you to do or what he wants you to do. And then there are laws that tell you what to do when you mess up on one of these laws, okay? And all along, so when they use the word law, sometimes they refer to all the commands, sometimes they're just referring to this group, sometimes they're just referring to this group. And all along, right from the very beginning, they knew that one group of commands was much more important than the other group. They did not view them all as equal, okay? I'll show you just, and I could show you many quotes from in Scripture. I'll just show you a couple from the Old Testament, and there's many, many more that we don't have time to look at. But we see this idea already in Proverbs 21, verse 3. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon wrote this, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Right from the very beginning, right in the Old Testament, they already knew it, that those laws that tell you what sin is, that the, the laws that tell you do not murder is bad, and adultery is bad, those laws are more important than the laws that tell you what to do after you mess up. The one set of laws tells you this is what God is like. This is what he loves. And the other set is this is your band-aid. This is how you clean up the mess after you did something bad. Okay? And we see this throughout the Old Testament. Over and over and over again, God says this. I really love this set of laws over here. They're not all the same in God's eyes. This set is much less important to me. Hosea 6, verse 6, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering. See, God never, and as you read the Old Testament, you have to understand the heart of God, okay? We have this idea, like people read the Old Testament, they say, what a barbaric God. Well, I mean, why is he into, why does he love blood so much? Like, he just loves animal sacrifice. And I, I wish I had time, and we could go through a bunch of passages where God repeatedly says he doesn't care about sacrifice. It's not like he has this thing for animal blood and death. The whole reason for animal death and blood was temporary atonement, painting a picture of what needed to happen when Jesus would die. That was the whole reason for it. God never took pleasure in the sacrifices. He takes pleasure in righteousness and mercy. But these were a temporary band-aid solution until uh, Jesus could die on the cross. Okay, so now, um, when Jesus died on the cross, because again, people read Paul in the New Testament, and he's got some strong statements, and I wish we could go to all those places, but we'll tie this up as we, as we go in the, in the second half of the message. But, but Paul has these statements about the law is no more, and the law is canceled. And people read that as, after Jesus died... They just read the laws, the whole thing there, and they say all of them are gone, okay? Which, of course, makes absolutely no sense because you and I know just 
intuitively today, murdering is still sin. Like if any of you has a handgun here right now, or a knife, and you turn and kill the person beside you, it would actually be a bad thing and you know that, right? Okay? Like it would be a really bad thing, okay? Committing adultery, okay? That did not... So after Jesus died, now suddenly he canceled the law about do not commit adultery, which means now adultery is okay? It makes no sense, right? So we know... Jesus dying on the cross did not change what God likes and doesn't like. It didn't change that. He still hates murder, okay? He still hates adultery. He still loves. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself is not a New Testament command. That is Leviticus 19.18. That's right in the heart of the Old Testament laws, Leviticus, okay? None of that changed when Jesus died on the cross. What changed when Jesus died on the cross was what you do after you sin, right? That's what changed. God didn't change his mind about right and wrong, about sexual morality or any of that after Jesus died on the cross. That did not change. What changed is what you do after you sin, you no longer have to, you know, and there's a whole bunch of different, you don't have to sacrifice a lamb, you don't have to sacrifice a pigeon, depending on what the thing is. You don't have to do any of that now because Jesus' sacrifice, all of those things were temporary. Jesus' sacrifice was permanent. That's the one that actually pays for our sins. So since Jesus' death on the cross, there's now no longer any need for those temporary laws about the sacrifices, right? Does that make sense? I mean, most of this is still pretty obvious, but I'm hoping to make it more clear for you today. And I'm, there's more application here that goes beyond the sacrifices, which are obvious, okay? So after Jesus died, those laws were canceled. Now when Paul talks about the law being canceled, and then in, in, another, in Romans 13, he talks about other places where clearly do not murder, do not commit adultery is still in place. This is why it's so confusing for people, and you get all these theologies built on, people don't realize it's not all or nothing. He understood that there was different kinds, and sometimes he talked about the law in the sense of the sacrificial ceremonial laws, and sometimes he used the word law to talk about actually the moral things that we all know are right and wrong, okay? So if we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. When he said, this is the law and the prophets, he wasn't talking about all those sacrificial laws, okay? He's going to die. Those are all going to be gone. Those had nothing to do with love or what God likes. Those were a temporary band-aid solution for after you sin. So he's not using the word law there to refer to every single commandment in Scripture, he's talking about the heart of the Old Testament, which is the laws that define what sin is. Okay, well, that was easy enough, okay? So now we can say, except for the commands about the sacrifices, every other law where God tells people what he wants them to do or not do has to do with how you treat people and loving people or loving God. Uh, except we have another problem. There's still some other laws in there that have nothing to do with the sacrifices, that don't have anything to do with how you treat people or how you treat God. For example, circumcision, okay? Like, circumcision is a really big command in the Old Testament, okay? And, and God says, you have, it's a command. You've got to circumcise. Every male must be circumcised. Now, Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians, okay? And he says this. This is the same Paul that talked about the whole law, summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19. Very confusing. If you actually think about it, most people just don't stop to think when they read their Bibles. But he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Circumcision is a commandment of God. So Paul says, doesn't matter. Circumcised, not circumcised. You know, before Jesus, that mattered. After Jesus, 
Whether you're circumcised or not circumcised does not matter, but keeping the commandments of God does matter. Wait a minute. Circumcision is a commandment of God. So now we see Paul's got another category in here somewhere. He's got a category that there are still commandments that matter because he says keeping the commandments of God matters. But then there's another series of commands here that don't matter. So where's that coming from? How do we, what, what's going on there, right? Well, let's go look at the circumcision commandment in Genesis. And again, this will get applied to your everyday life. Most of you have probably long realized already that circumcision is not for today, okay? But there are other laws that are less clear. Genesis 17, verse 10. This is my covenant, God said, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So there's the command, or at least one of its forms when it first appears in the Old Testament. Ken, if you just want to underline the part there, God says to Abraham, this is between me and you and your offspring after you. Okay, so that's interesting. You know, do not murder, do not commit adultery. God didn't say, this is specifically for you, Abraham or Moses, and all of your descendants, but everybody else, uh, it doesn't matter. Well, we know do not murder matters for everybody because we see people who are not descendants of Abraham who, that's sin for them to murder. Like Cain and Abel were not Jews. They were long before Abraham existed. Cain murders Abel. God says that's sin, okay? But here we see this command is only for Abraham and his offspring, okay? So now we see that there are some commands in Scripture that were never meant for all of us. They were only meant for Jewish people. They were only meant for Abraham's descendants. So circumcision is one of them. So you'll find many places in the Old Testament where, where non-Jews, Gentiles, are punished by God for sexual immorality, for murder, for violence, all those kinds of things. But you'll never find anywhere in the Old Testament where God gets mad at an Egyptian or an Assyrian or a Babylonian because they're not circumcised. Why? Because those commands were never for them. Some commands are just for the Jews. Some commands are for everybody else. Now, the Jews never made this distinction. You say, well, why didn't the Jews talk about this in the Old Testament? Like, why didn't they clearly say some of these commands are just for us and some are for everybody else? Here's the reason. Because they just had to obey all of them. They didn't divide it up into some are for us and some are for everybody else because they just had to obey all of them. And in those days, in order to become a follower of God, in order to get close to God, you had to become a Jew. That was the thing. So if you were an Assyrian or a Babylonian, or because uh, they didn't have Canadians back then, obviously, and you wanted to become, I want to be a follower of Yahweh, you didn't go into the Old Testament and go, which of these laws are for me and which are not. No, 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 no. You had to become a Jew. That was the only way. That was the only way to, to, to become part of the people of God was to become a Jew. So you would have to get circumcised and obey all the laws that are, that are just for Jews, okay? So that's really, really uh, important, but they didn't divide it up that way. Now, in the New Testament, everything changes, right? So in the New Testament now, and this, is, this, is, and, and this explains, you're getting some history, and I talk about this every now and then, but it really helps make sense of a lot of things in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But now in the New Testament, so the, the disciples didn't automatically get that this had changed. After Jesus died and rose again, they didn't, it didn't automatically click in. Hey, Gentiles can get saved now. This is awesome. They're going to get the Holy Spirit. Didn't click in. They still thought only Jews get saved. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost and people were speaking different languages, that was in the temple. When Pentecost happened there at the beginning of Acts, those are not Gentiles who are getting saved. Those are all Jews. They're all Jews. So the Jews still think it's just for them, okay? But then God does the unthinkable 
You know, the Holy Spirit, Peter goes to Cornelius there. Cornelius gets, the Holy Spirit falls in him. And now the church is like, what in the world? Gentiles who didn't get circumcised, who didn't become Jews, they're not following all the, the Jewish laws. The Holy Spirit fell on them. I guess you don't need to be a Jew to be a Christian. And then this started off a whole series of conferences and there was discussions and debates and fights and, because this is just radical. What do you mean they can get saved without becoming a Jew? Because that means there's a whole bunch of laws they never thought about before. You've got to obey all these. And now people who aren't obeying all these, they're, the Holy Spirit is on them, so he likes them and, and they're in. And so we have different conferences. One of them happens in Acts 15. And they're asking the question at these conferences. They're asking... Which of these commands do, do the Gentiles have to follow? Which of these commands do Christians have to follow? Which are essential? So Acts 15 is one of these. I want to just read it to you. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So there are a whole bunch of them. And imagine if you grew up this way, it would be hard for you to let go of your entire life. You've always been taught that to be saved, you have to obey all of the laws in, in Scripture. And of course, now Jesus died, so they got rid of the sacrifices. That one was obvious. But there's a whole bunch more here. Which ones do we follow? Like tattoos. Do we follow tattoos? Do we follow Saturday Sabbath? Do we follow? Which ones do we follow? They just, it was always easy, and now it's not easy. But a whole bunch of them are just teaching, you, you got to do all of them. Okay? You got to do all of them except the sacrifices. That one clearly Jesus knocked out. Okay? You cannot be saved unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, okay? So there was, there, there was arguments. I wish I could see some of those. Uh, Paul and Bar Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to, up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question, about this very question. Which of the commands of the Old Testament do they have to follow, okay? So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria. By the way, I just want to stop here for just a moment. That group of people who just thinks the whole thing is canceled why, I mean, it would have been real easy in Acts if they were all just canceled. Like some people just say the whole law is canceled, which doesn't make any sense really when, you know, when we know that there's adultery and murder and these things are wrong. But if they wanted them all canceled, Paul would have just said they all are canceled. There would have been no discussion which ones and which not. Okay, very important debate. Anyway, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, non-Jews, for those of you who don't know what that word means, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay? And again, I'm going to apply this. Even today, there is dissension within the church about all kinds of things that really are very peripheral. Okay? Holidays, and can I do this, and can I have a tattoo, and can I judge someone because of that? And this is still today. We just have different questions it's all going to be tied up when you see how they answer some of these things. So this party gets up. They got it. They got to follow the laws. It's important that they follow the laws. They got to be absolutely pure and separate. Okay? But watch what happens next. And after there had been much debate, so there was more debate yet, okay? Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Okay? And now, 
They're going to write a letter. So this is the end of their debate. We are not going to put the yoke of all the Jewish customs on Gentile believers. Okay? We're not going to do it. So now they're going to write a letter, and you're going to send it to these uh, new Gentile converts, and they're going to explain to them what they want them to do. And remember, this is super important. They could. The easy thing to do would be to write, you've got to follow everything in here but the sacrifices. Or another very easy thing for them to write would be, you don't have to follow any of it because all the laws are canceled. Like, you see both extremes, right? There's always two extremes in the body of Christ. And it's all or nothing. And, but that's the whole question that they're dealing with here in Acts 15. You've got to follow all of it or you've got to follow none of it. And they don't, and either of those things would be easy to write. It would be easy to write, follow all of it. Or, follow none of it. And the apostles don't do that. Look at what they write. And it seemed good to the apostles and the elders of the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to, lay, and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So there are requirements. We're in the middle ground here. It's not nothing. It's also not everything. They're simplifying things, but there is still requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Okay, so, uh, first of all, some of you are distracted by the blood thing, and you're worried because of the medium-rare steak you had last night. Okay? <laughs> Whoa! That's in the New Testament, no blood. Okay, first of all, again, a little bit of context. Uh, this prohibition of blood here, this does not have to do with your medium-rare steak, or you have, you, you, there's a trace of blood. First of all, you can't get rid of all blood in your meat, okay? Those of you who are carnivores, that's just how it is. Those of you who are vegetarians, like, oh, okay? Those poor animals. You can't get rid of all the blood in your meat without cooking it so hard that you'd want to be a vegetarian, okay? So he's not talking about that. He's talking about, the, the, and, and even nowadays, there's pagan places and pagan practices, people eating blood for the sake of eating blood, like large quantities of blood. That's what the strangulation has to do too, with too, where they, instead of butchering the meat properly when they wanted to do this, they would strangle it so that the blood wouldn't all be drained out, and then they would eat large or drink large quantities of blood, okay? And were pagan things, and, it, and the apostle said, don't be into that, okay? It has to do with idolatry, all right? But then he say, Sexual morality, that, that's still in, okay? Now, now remember, so on the one hand, there's still stuff. The sexual morality, you still, like if it says, you know, that adultery is wrong or this is wrong or that is wrong in the Old Testament sexually, that's still wrong. That's what the apostles just told them. But on the other hand, remember, they could have just said, keep all the laws, and they didn't. That's the point of this letter. They could have just said, keep them all, and they didn't. They said, Stay away from idolatry. Stay away from sexual morality. In other words, the Jewish customs are gone. They are gone for Gentile Christians. Okay? If the, if the apostles had wanted those in, they would have kept them. Now, obviously, they're not, you know, in this letter, they're not being completely comprehensive. They don't have do not murder in there. They don't have do not commit adultery. And, and, well, although that would come under the sexual morality ones anyway. But do not uh, covet, do not steal. And all of those Paul reiterates elsewhere in his letters. Okay? So they're not being exhaustive here, but the point is the Jewish customs are gone, okay? The Jewish customs are gone. So now the question is, okay, so the Jewish customs are gone. That makes sense. The sacrifices are gone. So what we have left is when Jesus was saying, this is the law and the prophets, what he meant is there's a heart to the law and the prophets. 
And it's these laws that aren't just for the Jews. They're not peripheral things. They're not sacrifices, what you do if you sin. They're for everyone. These are the things that have been eternal for all time. This is right and wrong. And all of those laws have to do with loving God and loving people, okay? Now, the next question is, and this is where it starts to get really practical, is, okay, now how do we determine? So circumcision is really obvious because they talk about that one a lot in the New Testament. How do we figure out, as we're going through the laws now, how do we figure out which are which? Which ones go under the Jewish side of things and which ones go under the for everyone side? And the reason I'm doing this now is this has to do with how do we be wise in discerning about legalism? Because one of the things we've talked about often here at Southland is there's the one extreme, which is throw out righteousness and holiness because the grace of God just blah, blah, blah. And we've talked about that lots. And you can just do whatever you want. And that's gross, okay? But there's another extreme too. And this extreme, I've, I'm seeing it more and more in the last couple of years in particular, is uh, there's a movement within the body of Christ and it's people who want to follow all kinds of laws that are, should be under the Jewish customs laws, but it has to, do with, has to do with what you eat, has to do with when you celebrate the Sabbath, has to do with the Jewish festivals, and there's this movement. I'm, I've actually seen, and of course, wherever this kind of thing gets a hold, wherever legalism gets a hold, it always compounds and brings more legalism. And more and more, and a lot of Christians don't know what to do with it because they go, well, I get, I mean, because they're teaching us, Chris has taught us, the law matters, obedience matters. So now people come along, they show them all these scriptures. Well, look what the Old Testament says about this. Look what it says about this. And they go, well, maybe we should be eating that way. And, and maybe we should actually be doing all the festivals. And of course, wherever there's a little bit of legalism, more compounds. And lots of these people now say, I'm, I'm getting it every year now. I, literally, families in the community being pulled apart, uh, uh, marriages strained um, because one spouse gets convinced this is how we have to do it. And lots of them say you shouldn't be celebrating Christmas because, hey, Christmas isn't in, in the Bible and we should only celebrate the Jewish feasts. And, and besides, hundreds of years ago, uh, pagans celebrated Christmas on Dece- or celebrated something on December 25th. Therefore, why are we doing Jesus? And it's horrible. And, and, I get, and then I get emails and people are talking and there's worry in a church. Oh, no. Maybe we shouldn't be celebrating Christmas. Maybe we shouldn't be celebrating Easter. No doubt you've heard some of these things or seen them on the internet, spread with internet teachings, and it's always very convincing and blah, blah, and they show you all these passages and, and we shouldn't maybe put up a Christmas tree and, and, and ultimately, you know what? Completely misses the point. They're reading it wrong. They're absolutely reading it wrong. First of all, on the Christmas thing, just to take a small rabbit trail, since we're coming up on Christmas, people will show you, and you can find on the internet sites, uh, Christmas trees used to be pagan. Like, a thousand years ago, they did horrible things with trees on December 25th. And then they go, well, we should not be, you know, what kind of a, this is the devil has snuck into the church. And the thing I always say to that is, the devil doesn't own December 25th. By the way, he also doesn't, dis- he also doesn't own October, October 31st either. Just because the devil celebrated something on December 25th doesn't mean he owns December 25th. If I went back in history, I could find bad things people have done to the devil on December 1st, December 2nd, November 15th, July 30th. I could find devil things on every day of the year. <laughs> so what? We're not going to go to church now? We're not going to have any feasts? We're all going to hide in our basements with the light off, lights off because someone once did something bad on that day? God owns it all. God owns it all. And the early Christians wanted to snuff their noses at those pagans, and they said, you're going to celebrate this gross thing, and we're going to have a birthday party to Jesus. Well, Jesus' birthday wasn't actually on December 25th. Really? Who cares? 
What I think would be really funny is if in the end Jesus comes back and says, I actually was born on December 25th. <laughs> Woo! Okay, but we don't know. But lots of Christians are troubled by this. They don't know what to say about it. You know what? It completely misses the heart of the whole thing. Because in their zeal to do right, and by the way, let me just say this, because I don't want to make fun of people either. Some of these people are well-meaning. Some of these people, it comes out of a zeal for doing right. They really want to do right. And that's actually why we need to talk about it, because it's in a zeal to do right, we have to be discerning and wise and not miss the heart of what God's doing. If someone comes to me, and I know people, actually, I know people who are well-meaning in this, and actually good people, they say, I'm not celebrating Christmas, and I just feel like I don't want to. That's fine. You're not a sinner for that either. Where it becomes an issue is when this now becomes a yoke. Like, I know people, they love to celebrate the Jewish feasts. Amen, praise God, and they meet Jesus in them. There's lots of meaningful stuff in there. It's not bad to celebrate the feasts. It's not bad to just skip out on Christmas, and you just, there's something there, and you just feel like you meet with God, and this is an important thing for you. That's awesome. God bless you. Where it becomes a problem is they take those do's and don'ts, and sure, maybe you, maybe, you know, maybe not eating bacon for you is a spiritual experience. For me, eating bacon is a spiritual experience. <laughs> don't send me sweets, by the way. The last time I mentioned bacon a few years ago, I'm still getting bacon stuff, okay? I don't like bacon mixed with sweets, okay? I want bacon on a burger, okay? That's really what I want. I don't want bacon toothpaste. I don't want bacon mints. I don't want bacon Tic Tacs. I don't want bacon chapstick, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> I've gotten all of that multiple times, just so you know. And I love you all for giving it to me. But, um, so what? You, can't, you don't want to eat shellfish, because in the Old Testament it says don't eat shellfish. Okay, fine. Uh, and that's a spiritual experience for you? Fine. You want to celebrate the feast? Fine. Nothing wrong with that. You don't want to celebrate Christmas? Fine. None of, that, none of that's a problem. But when you take this, like these Jewish Christians were doing in Acts 15, you make this a law, this is what everybody has, and I'm judging you. And now I'm causing problems at my family because we shouldn't be eating this or we shouldn't be celebrating this and you're doing that. That is a yoke of slavery. That is bondage, Paul said. And it completely misses. So you say, well, how do we know? Like, and then they'll always show you passages in Scripture where in the Old Testament, see, this was important to God. He said it was important what they, he said it was important this, he said it was important that. So how do we know? Well, circumcision was important to him too. It was important to him because he was keeping the Jews separate. He was keeping the Jews separate from the Gentiles because the Jews were just a small nation. If they got culturally assimilated, the Messiah had to come from them. If they just got sim assimilated and lost their culture and lost their status as a separate people, the Messiah could not be born. So he gave them a bunch of laws to keep them separate from the Gentiles. That's why he was passionate about those laws before Jesus came. So you say, well, how do I know then which ones don't really matter to him now that were just for the Jews and which ones actually he does matter to him, it's for everybody. And it comes back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells us what the heart is. He says, the heart of the law is treat others how you would like to be treated. If it falls outside of that, okay, if it falls outside of that, this is one of those petty issues that was just meant to keep Jew and Gentile separate, which is why Paul says in Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So righteousness still matters. Don't murder, don't covet, don't steal, don't lie, integrity, all that stuff still really matters. 
But eating and drinking and that stuff doesn't matter. Colossians 2, 16 to 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, is it important to observe a day of worship to Jesus and a day of rest? Yes, but does it matter that it has to be on Saturday? No. Now, you say, well, I like to do it on Saturday. Let's not judge people who like to do it on Saturday. Amen. Praise God. If you meet God better on Saturdays, do it. But the moment you lay that out as a burden, it has to be Saturday. It's now a yoke of slavery. And it doesn't have anything to do with how you treat people or loving God. Because that's the heart of it. That's how we discern which is in this column, which is in that column. you got a bunch of do's and don'ts in the other one that were, that were to keep the Jews separate. Okay? But they're not in place anymore. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I love this passage. I'm going to just read you a bunch of verses here. And God tells us the purpose of those laws that were just for the Jewish people and why they're gone now. Therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles, that's again non-Jews, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So remember, before Jesus, you Gentiles were separated from God. You couldn't be close to God unless you became a Jew. Okay? Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You couldn't be a Jew without becoming a Jew. Like they had all these laws that kept them separate from you. So you were alienated from Jewishness. And because you were alienated from Jewishness, you couldn't be close to God. And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you Gentiles who were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, there again, people read that as he abolished the law. The whole law is gone. Wait a minute. Do not murder still holds. We already saw in the letter in Acts, sexual immorality has still holds. The sexual morality laws in the Old Testament still hold. He's not using the word law there to refer to all of it. He's referring in that column I had there, he's referring to that whole stack of do's and don'ts that have nothing to do with how you treat people or how much you love God. It's a stack of do's and don'ts that don't matter to God. It was a temporary wall. Jews and Gentiles are separate because I need the Jews to survive so the Messiah can come from them. But now because of Jesus, you don't have to, that, that, that set of laws was never that important to God. What really matters to him is love him, love people. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both, both Jew and Gentile, to God in one body, one church, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a temple in the Lord. So now I want to take, I want to just extrapolate now just a little bit. There's two forms legalism takes, okay? And the first form is, this is what true godliness looks like. Here's some rules. This is what true godliness looks like. In order to be godly, you have to eat a certain way. You have to dress a certain way. And it misses the point. The point is love. Love. Love God, love people. But we tend to focus on the wrong questions. So people are freaked out about tattoos. First of all, I don't have any tattoos. So I don't have a bias. I don't have skin in the game, literally, in this one. <laughs> I don't recommend that people get tattoos. Okay? 
I'm not saying this is not me telling your kids, as you cover your kids' ears, don't listen to this teenager. This is not me telling your kids that they should get a tattoo, all right? But we focus on all the wrong things. We freak out, oh, so-and-so's getting a tattoo. They must be real backslidden. My son or daughter's getting a tattoo. Whoa, they're on the path of hell. Wrong. You're missing the heart of it. This is the law and the prophets, how you treat others. How are, do they love Jesus? Are they walking in a relationship with him? You know what? If they get a little cross on their arm or a Bible verse, that's not demonic. It's not demonic. It's just not a big deal. Now, don't get something hideous on your arm or demonic. That would be bad. Obviously, this is not, you know, blanket. Anybody got any tattoo they want? Chris said it. No. <laughs> it's not about tattoos. That, what does that have to do? What does that have to do with anything? It's not about, it's not, it's not about, you know, alcohol. Let's talk about another one. Let's just step on a whole bunch of toes here one time. Let's see if I can get hated out of this place. <laughs> oh, man. So-and-so, I saw so-and-so go into the liquor mart and get a bottle of wine. Whoa, they're backslid. <laughs> well, you might have good reasons for not doing it. And maybe God has a calling on your life that you don't drink. That's awesome. And maybe you have a past that you shouldn't drink and you shouldn't be around people who drink. God bless you. It's not bad to not drink. But now you're going to judge other people based on they have a glass of wine or they drank a beer at, at, at the restaurant and you're going to judge them based on that? Are you kidding me? Is that what the law and the prophets is summed up by? What did you drink? Did you put a tag? Did you get a tattoo? It's not, it's not it. It's how you treat people. Do you love God? Do you love people? That is the law and the prophets. Everything else falls into this category over here. You know, uh, and, and Halloween, I'd say, like I said, I, I want to see if I can get a death threat here today, all right? <laughs> so, is Halloween the best date on the calendar? Well, no. Personally, my family, we don't, we don't celebrate it. I'm just not into it, okay? I just don't like candy. It's gross, okay? <laughs> and maybe you have great reasons, and you have strongly, you just strongly feel for your family, we are not participating in this. Praise God. And that's actually part of conscience for you. It's part of walking with God for you. And that's fine. But now you're going to turn around and, and you're going to judge so-and-so down the street because they dressed their kid up like a princess or a hockey player and went and got some candy. You're going you're to write nasty things on social media because so-and-so down the street is a Christian and he gave out candy on Halloween. You think that's what the Law and the Prophets is about? That's not what the Law and the Prophets is about. Do unto others as you would have others do to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law and the prophets. You say, yeah, I see a whole bunch of commands there that aren't about that. Yeah, those are those commands that were part of the sacrifices which are gone, or they were part of that dividing wall of hostility that kept Jew and Gentile apart. The heart of it that's eternal, that has always been, that really matters to God, is love God, love people. Amen. How do you treat people? Love God, love people. And I know the last... Always the last one that comes in is we got to be separate. That's, you know, legalism argument number one is this is what you got to do to be godly. It's all a bunch of do's and don'ts. Argument number two is we got to be separate. Like, we got to be holy. The Bible tells us we can't be the same as everybody else. First of all, you got to read those verses in the Old Testament in context. There was a reason he wanted to keep Jew and Gentile separate. That he does not have that same desire for separation from Christians to, to non-Christians. And second of all, you've got to understand what God wants us to be separate in. 
Is that what he wants us Christians to be separate in? That we're known as the people who never get tattoos. That's how you know a Christian, they don't get a tattoo. That's how you know, you want to know how you know a Christian? They turn off all their lights and lock the doors and woe be any kid that goes up there on October 31st. Is that how we get known? Is that how we get known? Is that what separates us? We are supposed to be separate, but separate in what? I'll tell you separate in what. Separate in those Christians never divorce because they just love each other and they stick with each other through thick and thin and they're faithful and they would never give in to adultery no matter how much they're tempted. That's separate. They should be separate from the culture, you bet, but separate in what? Separate in they despise pornography and sexual immorality. And you can bet in a marketplace, you want to know what you want to be separate in? In a marketplace, we should be known as people who always look out for everyone else's best interest. Those Christian salespeople, they're different. Because they'll tell you the stuff that normal salespeople wouldn't tell you. They'll tell you the stuff they would want to know if they were buying it. Those Christian salespeople, they won't use psychological techniques to make you spend more than you should. They actually have your best interest in mind and they want you to get what you need. Those Christian business people, you can count on them. Those Christian employees, they're going to work their butts off and if they say they're going to do something, they will do it and they'll never cuss you out and they'll never go for revenge because they're just people of integrity and they tell the truth and they never cheat, not even on their taxes. We should be separate. We should be separate. But in the things that matter to God, not the things that do not matter to God. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So what are the laws that are eternal and which still hold for today? I'll leave you with this. For the Jews only, don't be flustered by internet teachings and distant relatives and all that kind of stuff. We've got to do this, we've got to do that. Circumcision, what day Sabbath is on, food laws, festivals, tattoos, clothing. That was the stuff that matters Idolatry, occult, don't do it. Sexual morality matters to God. And the rest of the moral laws, do not murder, do not covet, do not steal. It all falls under love your neighbor as yourself. For this is the law and the prophets. I'm going to, those of you who are getting baptized, you can start to come up now. I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, Jesus, I just pray that this week you would grow us in this thing of how do we treat people. We need to be passionate about being separate but we need to be separate in the right things. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in our hearts this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.